Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the Word of God. Wherefore, at the time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews, they spake and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. Whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Who is that God? That shall deliver you out of my hand. Oh, come on, somebody. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, O king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. We don't even have to think about it. It's just who we are. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And I love what they say next. And he will... Deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I have a word from God today. When you leave today, you will have heard from the heartbeat of the Lord God Almighty. To, it, to encourage you, to challenge you, and to cause you to stretch your faith to believe God for whatever He has and whatever is happening for your life and in your life right now. I want to preach to you for a little while. It's 1135. I'll try to expedite the time. And, but I do believe for a sovereign move of the Holy Ghost on this subject. The paradox of faith. The paradox of faith. You're going to preach with me today. Would you clap your hands under the Lord one more time?
You may be seated if you won't sit down. I'm going to preach something today that is not very popular. In fact, when you hear my opening remarks, you might think that I am questioning the power of God, but please bear with me. The word paradox means a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. Another de definition that Webster gives us is a statement or proposition that despite sound or apparently sound reasoning from acceptable premises leads to a conclusion that seems senseless, logically unacceptable, or self-contradictory. So today I rise to this sacred desk to preach to everyone in this great church on the subject of the paradox of faith. The paradox of faith. I am concerned today that we have heard so many messages preached about God's miracle working power. That God's healing power or that of His providing power or His delivering power. How many have heard a sermon or two from me or others uh, on the miracle working power of God? We just sang about what God is capable of doing. And I'm afraid sometimes we just take for granted that God will heal every sickness. We take for granted, Brother Jacob Jones, that God will meet every financial need. Or that God will open every prison door. And that God will put back together every broken marriage. But sometimes with the paradox of faith in mind, God just doesn't heal. Sometimes God does not come through with the miracle that we prayed for and believed for. Sometimes God does not repair the broken home. Sometimes God does not provide the financial relief that we have so desired and petitioned Him for. And my question is not that, it's, it's not popular what I'm going to say. The question I'm going to propose is one that is not popular, it's not often considered. But one that must be asked at this great church nonetheless. What will you do? If the answer is no, what will you do if God doesn't deliver? What will you do if God does not heal your body? Because sometimes we become so conditioned to the fact that God will say yes, that we don't know what to do when God says no, or God says not right now, or God says wait a little while. But today I may serve unto you and, and we must all take good notice and stop of our experience and say, I know God can heal. I know God can put my marriage back together. I know God can save my children. I know that God can provide for my financial need. But if not, I'm still going to love him. I'm still going to trust him. 
I'm still going to serve him. I'm still going to get on my feet and worship and praise the only name under heaven whereby we must be saved. I know he can, but the paradox of faith says I know he can, but if he doesn't, I'm still going to serve him. I'm still going to love him. I'm still going to be faithful to him. Our text this morning is a familiar one. I've preached from it many times. I've preached about the fourth man and the fact that he's still in the furnace just waiting for us when we go through the trial. I preach the courage of three men who gained the favor of God through separation. They stood out from everybody around them. The furnace designed to destroy actually was the furnace that actually delivered them. I've all preached. You've heard messages around these subjects. But as I was rereading this passage afresh this week and as I stood at this desk at prayer meeting and I stood and I was reminded As as sure as I'm standing before you, the simple statement that only consisted of three words. And God said, you tell my people. You walk to that pulpit and you tell them words that will speak volumes about their character and of the three men that are located in the scripture. And it's the three words, but if not. Basically what they were saying, we know that God is able to deliver us out of the fiery furnace. We know that God can send angels from heaven to bear us up and out of this evil and wicked surroundings and crowd that we have found ourselves located in. We know that God could kill each and every one of our persecutors if he were to so choose to. We know that the same God that opened the depths of the Red Sea so our forefathers could walk through on dry ground can keep us, can keep us from this furnace. We know that our God is able to deliver us, O King. But the paradox of faith says, but if not, I will trust Him. This statement was made before they knew what the outcome would be. For all they knew, they were speaking their final words. It would be the words they would be forever remembered for. But all they knew, they were writing their own death sentences. For all they knew, they would wake up in the sweet sunny banks of deliverance. But if it's all these men were saying, it was this, Oh King, just in case we die when our flesh hits that flame and I don't get a chance to tell you let me make myself crystal clear I will never bow to your graven image I will never serve your gods I will never forsake my experience I will never turn my back on God. We don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. But let me say it right now in your presence so you can hear me loud and clear. We know God is able. I've seen him do it time and time again. But if not, I'm still going to worship him. 
I'm still going to serve him. And that is the paradox of faith. And I wish somebody in this place would catch what I'm saying. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know if God is going to heal you or me or not. I don't know if God's going to deliver me or not. I don't know if God's going to meet the financial need that you or I may have. But devil, just in case I don't get another chance to tell you, let me say it one more time. I know God's able, but if he doesn't, I'm still going to worship him. I know God can, but if not, I'm still going to serve him. If I die in this furnace, that's okay. Because the next breath I take, I'll just wake up shouting on the hills of glory. So just in case this is the last time you see my face or hear my voice, I want the words to echo throughout eternity, Brother Jones, that I'm still going to trust him. I'm still going to believe no matter what. I know who holds my future. I know who's got my life in the palm of his hands. I know I am but just mere flesh. But oh, if God could give somebody the fresh dedication of Job this morning. God had, uh, I don't know if God had a great sense of humor. It's poor in my opinion. But Job had to be the most confused man in the whole planet. I mean, here's a man who the Bible says loved God. Escued evil or hated evil. A man who was well respected in his community. He was well respected beyond. In fact, the Bible says he was the greatest man in all the East. He was the poster child for a godly life. A moral man. He's a man that us as pastors would love to point to and say, man, if you need help in your family, you need counseling, you need to go see that man. He's the man you need to talk to. He's got it going on. His was the life of perfect fulfillment of Deuteronomy 28 where God promised that if a person would hearken his commandments and do them, they would be blessed thou in the city, blessed thou in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy ground and the fruit of thy cattle and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Come on, somebody. Blessed shall thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand to do. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So... Does that sound like a life you want to live? Is that the favor of God you want with you each and every day? That's the kind of, that just sounds good to me. But it's amazing, Brother Bittler, in a few days, everything changed. Without provocation, without reason, without any change in Job's lifestyle. He was, the still man, he was still the man that was the greatest in all of the East. He didn't change his lifestyle. He didn't backslide. He didn't curse God. He didn't turn to false gods. He, he didn't do any of that. Job was just doing what was right. He was still loving God and hating evil. This is the paradox of faith. This will mess you up if you're not rooted and grounded in. But without warning, without apology, without explanation, God didn't say, hey, Job, this is just to happen to you, son. I'm going to give you a forewarning. 
I'm supposed to take everything I've given you. But in one day, the Sabians took his oxen. Fire fell from heaven and consumed his sheep. The Chaldeans took his camel. A tornado destroyed the home wherein sat all of his children and their spouses. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? His health failed him. His wife turned against him. His friends tried to encourage him by asking what he had done. What did you do to deserve all that's happening today? Did you do something secretly, Job? Did you, did you have an idol in the house that you didn't tell anybody about? What did you do? What did you do in the community? Has, is there sin in your life? And He would have loved to have answered them that day, but he didn't have a clue. God didn't send a warning. God didn't send a text message in. He didn't get a Snapchat and says, hey, it's going to happen. Today's the day. I just so, when I read this story, I can only imagine he was frustrated. He was confused. He was angry. Uh, every emotion under the sun you can expect from one man could happen inside of him. Imagine bearing your ten sons and your ten wives. 20 funerals, 20 funerals, all, your, all the things you had worked for, all the things that God had blessed you with, gone, just almost like in a snap of a finger. But in all of his trials, there was one thing that never altered and never changed. For the Bible says in Job 1.22, we're still in the first chapter where it all happened. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And if that wasn't admirable enough, this is what really amazes me about the, the experience of Job and God. One day he was sitting scraping the boils. Boils. Take chicken pox times a hundred. Or a thousand. Imagine the worst. Of, you're sitting in a pile of ashes. And, and you are just scraping the boils. Ooze and pus. I mean it's really nasty. I know you're going to eat in a few minutes. But I just wonder as he sat there with a knife scraping the skin. If he began to search deep within his soul. And his soul would try to find out and try to figure out. What did I do wrong? What happened? Why is all this happening to me? I, the question that I would want Job to ask is, how long is this going to last? Okay, God, you did it, but how long is it? A week, two weeks, a month? And then you got a select group of friends that come by to comfort you. And then your friends start, Job, don't it anger you that God won't even talk to you? God won't even explain himself? Doesn't, doesn't it even bother you that you had not got a word from God that how long this is going to last or, or what you did, does it? Don't you ever get upset and just want to question God, Job? Job looked back at his friends. I'm sure he would say something like this. I won't lie to you guys. I'd love to. I'd love to speak with God and ask him some questions. I'd, I'd love to talk to him. And I, I wish there was a daysman or a mediator that would come between us and put his hand on our shoulders and 
I could take counsel with the Almighty. But I can't do that. Because he is not a man as I am that we can discuss these type things. But you know, I've been sitting here as you've been talking to me and I've been thinking and you know what? The only thing is that I can imagine that would be any worse than what's already happened. That would be if God personally stepped out of the heavens, rode down in here on his white horse with a flaming sword in his hand, looked me in the eye, and drove that sword right through my heart. That's how bad it's been, guys. But just in case that's about to happen, and just in case I don't wake up to see tomorrow's sun coming across the horizon, let me just say it right here, and I want to go right on record, and I want you as my friends to hear me. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I know that God can turn my situation around today if he desires. But if he doesn't, Job would rise with boils dripping scrapes all on his arms and body and he would say I don't understand the paradox of faith but I do understand I will still trust him I will still trust him even when I don't understand even when I don't know when the end is even when I don't understand the trial even when I don't understand maybe I said something or done something that wasn't intentional but oh God has been too good to me for me to fail him now. Anybody hearing me this morning, I trust you are. When I look at the life of John the Baptist and I quickly move and he was being the victim of a jealous woman. He was sitting in a prison cell waiting to have his head removed and presented to Herod's wife on a silver charger his head would be given. The forerunner of Christ had some questions. I'm sure as he pondered his situation, he, he thought, you know, I've done everything I could do for this man they're calling the Messiah. I've been the voice crying in the wilderness. I've submitted to him and I, I have decreased so he could increase. I took the back seat so he could take the front seat. I, I've submitted to him and confessed that you're greater than I am. I've done everything right. Oh, won't he send somebody to get me out of this prison? Why don't he send somebody to break through and burst these prison doors open and deliver me? But as he sat there with his death sentence already given, he patiently waited and nothing happened. But it was in the middle of that waiting that John sent some of his disciples to find Jesus. And he sarcastically asked him, are you the Messiah? Or should I look for another? Do I need to put my trust in somebody else? And the response of Jesus Christ is interesting. Because he doesn't answer with a yes and he doesn't answer with a no. Here's his response. Hang around with me for a while and then when you go back you tell John what you've seen. You tell John the blind have received their sight. The lame have walked. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf do now hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor are having the gospel preached unto them. 
But what is most interesting here is what Jesus didn't say. Because the passage of which Jesus was quoting was referring to Isaiah 61, which said that his purpose was to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to comfort those who mourn, to give a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And I just believe that Jesus knew, that John knew that word. John knew that passage. And John knew that the part of the Messiah's anointing contained in that same scripture he will open the prison doors to them that are bound in essence Jesus was saying to John through his disciples John you and I know I can open those prison doors but in your case I choose not to but John but brother Jones can you accept that and not get offended Can you accept me not doing what you've asked me to do and keep your spirit right? Will you accept what I'm doing in your life and not question my will or my way to a point that you get offended in me? Because here is where I want to bring this home. Blessed is he that can take no for an answer and not be offended. Will you take no for an answer and not get offended? Will you take no for an answer and still come to church on a Sunday with your hands feeble and lifted and say, I know he can do anything but fail. If he chooses to, I'll rejoice and serve him. If he chooses not to, my praise is not predicated on him answering and doing everything I ask of him. I worship and serve him. Because I love him. I love him. Blessed John is you as you sit in that prison cell and say, I know that if Jesus desired, he could send a stormtrooper in here. He could send an angel. He could dispatch something or someone and deliver me. But if not, I refuse to get offended. I refuse to lose hope. I refuse. To let my witness be any less. Because he didn't do what I thought he should do. When I read the Hebrews. The portfolio of the faithful. The portfolio of the faithful found in Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 32 it says. What shall I more say for the time would fail me. To tell of Gideon. And of Barak. And of Samson. And of Jephthah. Of David also. And Samuel. And of the prophets. Now listen, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Y'all still with me? Now it would have been great if the list stopped there. We could all rejoice over what he did do. Through these people. But it was without a pause. Without even the beginning of a new sentence. Paul says that within the same group of faithful Christians. Others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. That they may obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockeries. And scourgings. Yea moreover of bonds and of prisons. Are y'all ready? 
They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute. They were afflicted and tormented. But verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy of these men. They weren't even worthy. Our world was not worthy of the men that is being written about. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. But don't stop reading. And all, somebody say all. All. All having obtained a good report through faith. Received not the promise. Notice that all of them were good Christian spirit filled individuals. Those of the Old Testament not receiving the spirit of promise that we now have by the Holy Ghost. Those in the New Testament having received the spirit of promise. But they all received a good report. They had not sinned. None were any less faithful. The ones that God brought through and brought out and the ones that chose to suffer and those that chose to be afflicted and those that God said you can do that. I'm going to use your life as a testament of the paradox of faith. While some had the mouths of the lions shut, others were stoned. While some had their children brought back to life, others were tortured. God is able to quench the violence of fire, but sometimes he chooses not to. God is able to turn the enemy to flight, but sometimes he chooses not to. Blessed. I want to bring this home to us. Blessed are we who are not offended in him. Blessed are we who say, I know God can. But if not, I'm going to trust him. Many times in the absence of understanding, all I can do is just trust. I don't know why he hadn't healed Sister Jones of her lung condition. I don't understand that, Brother Jones. We prayed, we fasted, we believed. I don't understand why some have been healed of cancer and some haven't. I look at my wife. She sits on the, on the front row today. No doubt. Knowing God can heal cancer, but God chose not to heal her mother. It's the paradox of faith. But I know he can. I know he can heal. I've seen him do it. I've seen him do it. I've seen him work miracles. I've seen the miraculous power of God. And I tell this great church, in the absence of your understanding, all we can do is trust. All we can do is believe. There's a better day coming. There is a time coming that God only knows and have an understanding what the word says. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How many want to please God today? How many want to please him today? Would you just clap your hands unto the Lord? I want it to be said that I please God. I want it to be said that this church pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible for that to be said for us. But he that cometh must first believe that he is. I think sometimes we read and we think, 
It's saying that if we have faith, then God will please us. If we have faith, then God will please us. That may be the word on the street, but that's not the word of God. Faith is not a wish list. Faith is not sitting on Santa's lap. Faith is not the bells and whistles on an ice cream truck that makes its rounds and makes every kid in the neighborhood happy. But faith is trust and confidence in a sovereign, all-seeing, all-knowing God whose ways are higher than our ways, who looks high, he sits high, and he looks low. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. Faith doesn't mean that God is going to give me everything I want, but it does mean that I'm going to trust him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to honor him. I'm going to fear him regardless of what comes my way. I want to encourage you as I come to a close of this message. And I want to challenge you to not put God in a box. I don't want us to put God in a box and cheapen him to a genie in a bottle. Or a butler or a maid or a spare tire. The devil is a liar. I still believe if there's any sick among you, let them call the elders of the church, anointing them with oil. I still believe the word of God. I've just made up my mind that I'm going to give everything I've got regardless of how I feel or what he's giving me in return. I'm just obedient. When we lay hands on you, I'm putting the word into action. When I lay hands on that's what the word said do. The healing's in his hands. The miracle is in his hand. All I've got, my faith is in the word, but my obedience is defined by my actions. What I do next. God is not in a business where we make transactions and negotiate a better deal. This is not let's make a deal with God. He is our sovereign God. He is our Savior who wants to rule and reign over all the affairs of our life. I'm thinking, I I know, there's no thing to it. I'm preaching to somebody today and God wants you to mature your faith from an I won't list to an I trust you list. What are you trusting God for? I'm trusting God that he's got my life. He's got my children. He's got my affairs. He's got my finances. He's got this. He's got that in the palm of his hands. And I trust him. And by my actions. And by my obedience. To his word. (laughs) I don't want you to ever think and accept that faith is a potent mixture of intellectual and emotional self-control that when properly harnessed can literally change outcomes through positive thinking or clear visualization. No, no, no. If we're not careful, we'll minimize the paradox of faith. We'll minimize our power and faith in God. I don't want our faith to be minimized to just some hopeful thinking. That's faith in faith. But my faith is in the unseen. My faith is in God. I don't know what you're up to. I can't see what you're doing. But what if you had prayed for something and God said, I I, I can't do that right now. If I did it right now, you couldn't handle it. 
If I did it right now and I opened that door of provision, you may not be ready for it. But if you'll give me a little time and you'll trust me in my way, what I'm getting ready to show you is the revelation of the paradox in faith. And the longer you meditate, the longer you look and you, you, you glare into your trust in God, you finally graduate or mature to the place that I've done everything I know to do. I've been faithful in my time, talent, and treasure. I've been faithful in my witness. I'm not cursed God. I'm not done anything that would bring a reproach on me and my family. And until God opens the door, I'm going to remain faithful. And until God changes the circumstance, you're going to find my carcass sitting on a seat with my hands lifted to heaven. You're going to hear me shouting with the loudest voice, with the strongest trump of Zion in my mouth, declaring that God can do it. You can stand all over this house. Oh. Oh, God. I want to help someone today and tell you that faith was never designed to be a manipulation tool with you and God. There's no way you can trick God into doing stuff for you. That ain't faith. You can't trick God into doing stuff for you. We need to overcome it. We need to set ourselves up. We set ourselves up for failure and frustration. But the type of faith I'm preaching and declaring today is a faith in God that when you look at your husband or you can look at your wife and you can say, I don't know how and I don't know when. But I know he can. But if he chooses not to, it's okay. God's got a bigger plan. I don't know how it's going to work out, sir. I don't know how many times, Brother Shane, you may have to go to Texas. Sister Jones, I don't know how many trips you'll make to Vanderbilt. I don't know. But Brother Jones, you've seen the sick healed. You've seen... Affliction leave bodies. I've seen it with my own eyes. Get out of wheelchairs and walk. I've seen those with paralysis and those with all manners of disease. I, I can't explain it. I wish I could. But I just made up my mind that my belief is more about my faith in God than my faith in faith. That may not make sense to you. It may later. We've been told that those who can muster it up, get all the doubts removed, count it as done by faith, has the power to fix anything. It's God's great cure-all. It's our Pentecostal pixie dust or our magic potion. But this way of thinking would teach us that as long as we have no doubt, he has no choice. I've seen people, I hate to refer, 
My wife's mother believed God would heal her. They went on multiple fasts believing God would heal. There's no magic formula if you do this, 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 and you don't have any doubt. You take the choice away from God. No. That's not the way it works. Biblical faith has far more to do with our actions than with our feelings. As a matter of fact, biblical faith is so closely tied to actions of obedience that the Bible ridicules the very idea of someone claiming to have faith without acting upon it. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Verse 17 says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. God doesn't really care if you've mastered the art of positive thinking. He's not impressed by the mental gymnastics of visualization. He doesn't even insist that we eradicate all doubts and fears. In fact, more than once, he answered the prayers of those whose faith was so weak that God said yes. Matter of fact, there would be statements like this said in the word of God. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. God has answered prayers for me. And my first response wasn't praise. It was shock and amazement. You can't classify that as the standard definition of faith. You come in here and you're worshiping, praise, and shout, run out. That doesn't mean you got faith. Yet God answered anyway because the prayer fit his definition of faith. They trusted God enough to do what he commanded even though they were certain it wouldn't work. Don't tell me you have faith when you can't even do what God is asking you to do. That's not faith. That's religious get-rich-quick scheme that's destroying Christianity. Let me summarize the paradox of faith. Faith is complete obedience in what God is asking you to do. Whether it comes across as positive or negative, regardless. It just has to be complete obedience in what God is telling you to do. You see, obedience is forgotten. It's a forgotten word of of this century church. We come, get our little shot of encouragement and go back home and still hate people because they have the color, different color skin. Because of the economic background of someone or because they think different than you, yet we are a people of faith. That's fake. That's not faith. That's hypocrisy. That's not holiness. That's carnality, not Christianity. Faith equals obedience. Faith equals obedience. In the chapter of 11 of Hebrews, the word faith here is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. One of its meanings is confidence and trust. In order to please God, I must have complete trust and confidence in Him. It's meaning this. I don't necessarily like the valley, but I'm trusting you through it. 
God, I don't necessarily like the storm, but I'm trusting you through it. God, I don't like this trial, but I'm going through it. I'm trusting you through it, and I refuse to give up. You see, that kind of faith pleases God. You're not being negative. You're not being a, not being hypocrite. No. What you're saying is, I believe, and if it happens today, I accept that as the will of God. If it doesn't happen today, I walk in a faith that is in assurance that He knoweth the way that I take. He knows what I'm going through. He knows where I'm at. And when He says enough is enough, the storm's got to go away. When He says enough is enough, that sickness has got to go away. And if He doesn't, your last breath here is your first breath over there where there is no more pain and when there is no more suffering. Yes, we'll grieve. Yes, we mourn. Yes, we wonder why. But oh, you're, you're with the Savior. You're with the Lord. You preached it so well this morning in our Sunday school lesson today. I believe this kind of faith is what pleases God. And when you live by this principle, that David would pray. Not the prayer that says, God, take me out of the valley. But David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me. What I want us to do in this altar service, the aisle that you're standing beside, the aisle that you're standing near, I want it to represent the valley you've been walking through. And I want the prayer of David to be what motivates you to step out of that. You're stepping into the valley. But if you have nobody to walk with you, if you have nobody with you, but if you do what I want you to do, let me give you the example. In this hand, in your hand, you've got somebody walking with you. You're never alone, sir. You're never alone, ma'am. You're walking through the valley of sickness. You're walking through the trial of your life. But you're not alone. And when you step out of that seat, and you walk this away, you take her by the hand, You've got an invisible, you've got an invisible presence of the Almighty walking with you. Somebody's walking. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You are not alone, sir. I wish there would be one or two or three or four or five that would just begin to step out of your seat and walk to this front. And what you're doing is, you're signifying your trust in God. What you're saying is, God, I want you to take me out of this valley. But if not, just as long as I've got you with me, everything's going to be all right. I want you to take me and not, not allow me to go through this furnace. But if you do, if you allow me to go through it, Sister Andrea, I know you'll show up. 
just got to see it the way that God sees it through the eyes of the paradox of faith. You may be in the furnace, but he's with you. You may be in the prison, or you may be on trial. You may be in whatever the case may be. If he doesn't deliver you out of it, that means he must be going to show up in it. Can we lift our voices all across this building? And can we emphatically say, I trust you unequivocally, implicitly, and absolutely, with no reservation. I trust what you are doing today. I trust what you are saying today. I trust your ways are not my ways. I trust what you're going to do and do it through me, God, without any fear Without any reservation, I know my life.